The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Tonight's story reveals the globalist agendas of human trafficking and genocide for all mankind by way of being tethered to AI systems, experiments, torture, etc., wherein the ultimate objective is to network the biological systems of man with a system of artificial intelligence, reducing humanity to a totally controllable status. This is being accomplished through many different programs, operations, and applications that attack mankind's environment. The air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat, the products we use, and the information systems we are exposed to. Tonight's guest spent many years as a nun, serving peacefully within the Catholic Church. That is, until she was sexually assaulted by church clergy. After that experience, her search for justice and truth put her face to face with some of the highest powers in the world today, but not necessarily in a good way. Her intimate knowledge of the inner workings of the Roman Church and the evils that are hidden and covered up therein on a regular basis have become the very thing that has cost Berner's life to be in jeopardy. Between 2011 and December 2016, she survived more than 10 attempts on her life because of the knowledge she carries with her, knowledge of the Catholic Church's rampant sexual abuse that continues unabated today, knowledge of the U.S. government's desire to control the population by introducing destructive nanotechnology into the food distribution system and other products, and knowledge about certain activities within the U.S. government that are so highly secretive and classified that even Congress isn't aware or in control of them. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas at Veritas Radio. If you want to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. I always love to hear from you. Tonight's special guest is Sister Carrie Berner, a founder of Christ the Wool Hermitages and Diversified Ministry. She is a former nun, whistleblower, speaker, author, revolutionary, reformer, consultant, researcher, program architect, and inventor. Carrie is the tip of the spear for exposing the dangers of weaponized nanotechnology deployed against civilians, herself included, and the need to safeguard all mankind from its many forms, including weaponized grades. She is the only known survivor of military-grade nanotechnology attacks who is free of the effects of this technology and who has come clean of it with verified evidence to let the world know there is, in fact, a remedy. Her website is clergyvictim.com and Sister Carrie Berner joins us directly from an undisclosed location. Hello, Sister Carrie, and welcome to Veritas. Hi, Mel. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining me. And did I pronounce your last name correctly? Berner, yes. Okay. And should I address you as Sister Carrie? Whatever you wish. Thank you. Well, I received messages, as I mentioned to you before, from alleged targeted individuals almost on a weekly basis. I, honestly, I didn't expect this. This is happening all the time. I thought somebody was 
playing a prank on me, but this is happening more and more. And sometimes it's very difficult to discern truth from fiction, but someone compelled me to look into your story, and I've decided to proceed with an interview. For the record, because we just made contact a day or two ago, I didn't have the time to read your book, Divine Challenge, but I read an overview of your story in the hopes that we can discuss it. We can dissect it in chronological order from A to C. Do you think we can accomplish this in two hours? We'll do the best we can. Why don't we begin with your story? Take us all the way to the beginning. Okay. Well, um, I was actually uh, born as a twin. I have a twin sister, and um, I have a brother, and you know, my mom raised us on her own. She did the best she could. The, the father wasn't present in the home. And then what happened was as I grew older um, through, you know, individuation and so forth, I started to fall in love with the Roman Catholic Church. We were brought up Protestant or uh, more of a, a Protestant flair or background, but we weren't practicing. So I noticed that in high school that there was a Roman Catholic Church that was our bus stop. And I just felt this huge attraction. There was something ancient about it. And to me, ancient was authentic back then. So I started to explore that. And it was so cute. Um, before the, the, you know, getting on the, the bus, because I would stop into the church for like 10 minutes, you know, and just explore the church. It was absolutely beautiful, St. Joseph's Church in Charlton, Massachusetts. And uh, I, I ran into the priest and said, I want to be Catholic. And he says, okay. I says, well, really, I want to be a nun. He says, well, yeah, you have to become Catholic first. And he he thought that was funny. And so he says, well, why don't you go ahead and come to our classes for Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults? Now, this is back in 1992, 93. This is probably junior or senior year in in high school. And so I did. I went through the, the, the RCIA and became a Roman Catholic to my joy, and then immediately following thereafter my confirmation in, in Eucharist, I went into a convent to explore, you know, the, the possibilities for becoming a nun. Now, canon law, the canon law of 1983 doesn't allow for new, brand new converts to, to become nuns, because they have to make sure you have a solid footing, and, you know, they're not going to take advantage of that engagement period of you just coming into the church. So my mother superior, Teresa Benaway, Mother Teresa Benaway of MICM, Manchipia Immaculatis Cordis Mariae, she was basically a uh, founder, one of the the founders of um, St. Benedict Center in Still River, Massachusetts, one of the, you know, ladies that took on the baton from Sister Goddard Catherine Clark and Father Leonard Feeney, very famous. Um, And so they were famous for this teaching that they were, you know, preaching and teaching, which was something that the Catholic Church found very inconvenient that they would preach this at this time back in the 40s. But St. Benedict Center and the Boston Heresy case is a very, very big case. And they were teaching the extra ecclesium, the Lasalle's teachings, which I believed wholeheartedly, no salvation outside the Catholic Church. So this order of nuns was traditional, absolute, that was very attractive to me. They did the prayers in Latin. So we we would gather several times throughout the day to do the offices, the divine offices, which is basically 
a breakdown of some of the Psalms, you know, uh, St. David's Psalms, and we would, you know, sing to the Blessed Mother and so forth, and, and, and it was a really lovely life. So for about five years, give or take, you know, you could see better in my book, Divine Challenge. You can get that at clergyvictim.com, uh, and it's on the uh, backslash Divine Challenge. It's also on, the, I think it's the fourth tabulation down. So essentially, um, I fall in love with this convent. They fall in love with me and they say, you know what? We know you have to wait two years in order to be a nun, canonically by canon law, but I was able to, to find a provision in the canon law where they could accept what they call an oblate to the community. So I became like a tertiary, which is a, it's, it's like a, a lay chapter, let's say, or a lay association to the order, St. Benedict's uh, Center in, in Still River. Right away, I was able to enjoy that membership. And, and then I was received into the postulancy. Uh, I believe it was in 97, and uh, then became a novice. So I was actually registered in the book. My name was listed in the Catholic directory, but it's not under Kiri Bernor. It's under Sister Benjamin Bernor. And so that's going to be very important because in the future, I have to say that I came across a Raymond Delisle and others within the their spokespersons for the Diocese of Worcester, and they actually made allegations that I was never a nun. So uh, I was able to collect that data and take photographs of these actual periodicals that you can't get unless you they're locked behind, you know, they're they're in in a location in the in the library and so forth. So I was able to find that. So that's important to just keep in mind because in the future that's what I had to deal with was the reconstruction of my history per se. So then, which they tried uh, to erase. That's right. That's right. So then, at this stage, after five and a half years in the convent um, and falling in love with all this Latin and, you know, connecting to God in this way, and the people were awesome. I loved the sisters. I still do. You know, many of them have passed on to the next life with the Lord. Um, But I felt this deep calling to become a hermit and to become, to go into the contemplative life. I was reading books at the time like, you know, St. Anthony of the Desert and, you know, uh, the, the, the Desert Fathers and the Mothers of the Church. And I was absolutely just taken by it. And, you know... You're cutting funny. off, by the way. Can you repeat that, please? Oh, absolutely. That I fell in love with the writings of the early fathers and mothers of the Church. So when, you know, this deep calling of exploring becoming a hermit or a contemplative nun, see, these are the writings that really got me interested in that kind of a lifestyle. So my mother superior gave me a whole year to pray about it. And she prayed with me for a whole year and we didn't choose to do anything. I just kept a journal and I prayed for all the things she asked me to pray for. And she designated a special holy hour, which is where you know, a nun will go to the chapel and sit there for an hour in front of what they call the Blessed Sacrament, which is the presence of Christ in the Eucharist. That's what they believe in in that tradition. So I did that for a whole year. And Mother and I determined with my novice mistress that the best thing to do is to follow God's calling 
And and so therefore, I left the convent with their blessing, with the blessing of the Mother Superior. And even after I left the convent, I became much closer friends with her. Um, she's I just love this Mother Teresa Benaway. She would she didn't even have anybody in my cell in my room. That's what they call them cells. Uh, for a very long time after I left so that if I wanted to come back and visit, my bed would still be available to me. She was just a love, really precious soul. Uh, And of course, she's went home to the Lord too. That was a very hard thing to go through. So for me anyways, so then at this stage, I, I leave and then I have to go, I go back to my hometown, which was Spencer, Massachusetts, to live with my uncle for several months, so I could get on my feet. He was really kind to open his doors. But I was never in the world. When I went into the convent, I went straight from high school graduation, like within a month, right directly into the convent. So I had no skills. I didn't even know how to write a check. I didn't understand the concept of paying rent. None of it made sense to me. So I had a crash course (laughs) in common sense uh, on these matters for about you know, several months with being with my uncle and my aunt in Spencer. So while I was seeking to get a footing in the world to establish like a base of operations, I would attend services, you know, which is, they call it the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass or Mass or Liturgy at this monastery, St. Joseph's Abbey in Spencer, Massachusetts. And I was there for about eight months. And of course, you know, I visited this monastery prior to having joined my convent, the convent I joined, St. Benedict Center. And um, at this point, you know, I fell in love with the Abbey, but I knew way back when I visited them the first time I was 15 years old, I knew that I'm, I'm, I'm a woman and these guys are all men and I can't join. But it just I was just flabbergasted as to how I could be so in love with a monastery and I felt the wrong gender. I'm just like, how could this be? This monastery is so beautiful. But I was like, no, I have to follow through with God's calling. And then God later had me visit this monastery. And uh, I fell in love with it all, all over again. So th- these monks at St. Joseph's Abbey opened their hearts to me. Um, I was helping another elderly woman get into use the facilities. And I ended up bumping into a monk. His name was Brother Philippe Macram. And this brother and I started to talk and he says, are, you know, are you the lady that prays in the side chapels? And I was so embarrassed because I was hoping no one would ever notice me because I was so quiet. And then he, brother Philippe had me said, you've got to talk to this other monk. His name is brother Patrick. And we became like this just very close friends. And it was so wonderful and uh, camaraderie. And we studied the same things and, we we opened each other's vistas and you know it was just a really wonderful time so within about two and a half years of my time you know being at saint joseph's abbey regularly the monks started to open up possibilities to me and you know said that essentially my calling deserves spiritual guidance you know from a director and specifically you know, from a Cistercian, because that was the particular spirituality that I embraced and was very attracted to. So I found in my in the writings of this saint, his name is Saint Elred of Riveau, uh, you know, writings that would basically 
the, you know, the following of a rule, they call it a Ferrarian. I'm doing the best I can to de- define terms because everyone, I know that not everyone is a Catholic, so they may not understand this. So if you need clarification, feel free to let me know if I'm not making sense on something because of my cultural background. I grew up a Catholic, so I get uh, it, but others may not. So thank you. Excellent. Excellent. So I embraced this treatise and it was written by St. Edward of Revo. And St. Aylred wrote for his sister a horarium, a daily schedule and praxis, her, her spiritual practice and what she had to do. And so I embraced that because he was Cistercian. His sister embraced a Cistercian spirituality. And so the monks, several monks were in support of this. And they, they loved it to have this, you know, this, this other you know, lay person in the side chapel praying. A lot, you know, Brother Patrick told me uh, uh, on several occasions, you put in more time than we do in the chapel. I, I probably put in eight hours a day. Uh, in the days I didn't have to work, I would go from the beginning at, at 2.30 in the morning, pray until 8 o'clock at night after Compline, because I was just absolutely in love with God and felt his presence really strong at this wall that separated the lay chapel from you know, the monk's chapel, which was the sanctuary area. And so I just, you know, really, really just wanted to be a part of this, this, you know, experience in a way that would be fitting and proper in accordance with canon law. And so I explored with the bishop at the time, becoming a, nun, a, a hermit nun under canon 603, where there's a provision for, for hermit nuns who could embrace any particular spirituality and they could, you know, live close to a monastery or live on their own or live near a church, you know, as long as they stayed close to the participate, participating in the sacraments of the church, that was the goal, you know, to have the hermit, you know, close to, to a, a, a church family, which totally makes sense. So I enjoyed this relationship with the monks, and not all the monks were in favor of it. Uh, you know, there was times that, you know, I experienced strange behavior. To me, it was strange. Uh, where I had the key, I was given the key by Brother Philippe, who alleged to have had permission from the abbot for me to have a key, because I was, you know, there at the chapel, and they didn't have a bathroom, you know, accompanying the side of the chapel. So I, this was, you know, very inconvenient to have to get in the car and drive all the way down to the restaurant to use the ladies' room. And so the monks in their generosity and brother Robert also gave me the key uh, and said, just, you know, if you need to use the ladies room, just come up here to the guest house and go ahead and use the the ladies room. Well, when I was accompanying a friend to go use the ladies room, I would see people running to the door, getting ready to bolt it. And I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't right. (laughs) And because my friend, you know, she, she really had to go to the bathroom badly at that time. So, a letter went to the abbot. We explained what was going on. And the abbot, you know, just basically said that it was a daunting task that these people had to go through. And he apologized for that. So anyways, where the story takes us then is to an event that occurred that changed my entire path in life. And in, in the aspect of getting accompaniment, which is, you know, spiritual direction is, is the word that was used for Jesuit you know, understanding of spiritual counseling. In the Cistercian tradition, they use the word spiritual accompaniment. So uh, we, I was invited to 
connect with Father Joseph Chukong, you know, for a spiritual accompaniment session, and we did so. And that was August 23rd of 2000. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.